I'm looking forward to talking to this audience about holiday event planning and building an engaging culture in the workforce. Today's agenda is um, broad. It's going to cover various items that are appropriate for this time of year. So we wanna talk about how you can make sure uh, you have an inclusive holiday event planning and execution in the workplace. We're gonna talk about the do's and don'ts related to uh, holiday events so that you can avoid that post-event regret that often happens uh, by management and HR in a workplace. We want to also then switch over and talk about the biggest core part of this presentation for all of you today, which is defining your culture and recognizing what it really is and promoting what you really want for your business. And then we're going to talk about teaching, implementing, and maintaining an engaging culture in your workplace. So my goal is always when I do these webinars for this audience is to make sure that I'm doing a good job of transferring my knowledge and experience uh, to all of you to make sure you're able to mitigate the various risks and liabilities that happen in your business that's either associated with this holiday events or other employment practice activities. And I also want to provide strategic guidance to you all and advice on developing a sustainable and collaborative as well as engaging culture in your workplace as that will help lead to sustained and continued success for each of your businesses. So let's talk about holiday event planning and various strategies to avoid the risk. When you're thinking about planning for holiday events, one of the important things to make sure that you do as an organization is that you're inclusive with the planning committee. Many organizations over time end up with what they just call a Christmas party or they end up with other activities that could potentially right off the bat uh, cause problems in the workplace. So one way to start avoiding that is making sure that it's not just a leadership team or just the management team per se that's involved with providing uh, guidance or being part of this planning committee. Include human resources and then be inclusive of various people in the organization. And if you were to do it in the ideal capacity, you would do that by also including people from various levels in the organization. By including those different perspectives, you're gonna have a recognition of diversity of thought. You're gonna have a lot of different personal beliefs and a lot of different religious beliefs that are gonna come across in the discussions, which will allow you to be most inclusive for your organization to avoid the next bullet there, which is really critical as far as a risk to your business, is you won't be bullying anybody unintentionally uh, through the process and you won't be excluding anybody unintentionally. Uh, a lot of times organizations try to find a way to make sure that everybody's happy and you can't do that. You certainly can't make everybody in your organization happy. Uh, I've certainly been in organizations where even around the Thanksgiving time, uh, we had events where we were um, bringing people on site, their families and having giveaways of turkeys. I wanted to find out that certain people didn't like turkey and they were offended by it. So becoming inclusive and making sure that you're including your HR team or professionals and advisors uh, and then including as many members of the workforce as possible that can share the different perspective on a committee or representative of those various groups in your organization is very important uh, to make sure you're doing uh, the planning stages right. But now you've planned your event and there's some things that a lot of organizations forget to think about or don't have experience thinking about if it's the first holiday event that you or your small business might be putting together. So selecting a venue and location can impact or create risk and liability for your organization. And on this slide, when I'm talking about risks and liability, um, the event, if it's sponsored by the business, it becomes a business or a company sponsored event that you have obligations as the employer to still protect your workforce. And so when you're picking the venue and location, it's important that you think about the risks associated with that. 
if you're going to have alcohol at the event, whether an open bar or a company-sponsored bar or some kind of limit, you've got risk associated with that. Transportation and lodging as a result of either location, distance, or timing, as well as the, the serving of alcohol in an event might create additional risk for you. And then determining who's even invited creates a risk. So whether or not you're inviting just your employees, whether you're inviting an employee and their significant other, you have le less and less control over who's at this event or party or whatever you're calling it, occasion, social or whatnot. And then there's dietary restrictions that different people, whether they're vegan, whether they have allergies, that you have to take in consideration because you'd be putting your employees or others in danger or at risk at the event. And so when we think about it from an activities perspective, um, are there going to be any company sponsored activities that place the employee in danger? And something as simple as a bowling activity or doing some kind of interactive team building where you're climbing rope ladders or you're zip lining or there's trampoline park. All of these create risk that you want to discuss with your insurance broker for workers' compensation and liability coverages to make sure if you're taking a large group of employees or employees and their friends or spouses or significant others that you're not creating additional risk that could really put your business in danger. Going back to the alcohol topic, you want to be careful that if you're serving alcohol, find a way to limit it. And there's a few ways to do this. A practical way that some people is they just only have an open bar open for a short amount of time, and then the rest is on the employee. And generally at these events, employees are not going to spend a lot of their own money to continue drinking. Uh, the other aspect is that some organizations take a nice strategic approach and they give out, you know, a one or two drink uh, maximum. They could do this through a ticketing process or just by name. Uh, or someone uh, from the organization kind of managing that process from whoever's serving the alcohol. But limit that because after the event, those people leaving and driving home could then create some liability against your business for serving the alcohol that they were later in an accident for or there was an injury. Um, so sometimes you're going to have to consider, is there any lodging available, discounted lodging, blocking rooms, even if you're not paying for it, working with the hotel or something close by so that you can uh, create the least amount of risk for your employees. The other item, something as simple as bowling, someone could injure themselves, throw out a muscle, hurt their back, and then you lose productivity in the workplace because that person is out, plus you'll have a workers' compensation-related claim. Um, so you want to be careful with these, these risks. And thinking about this holistically of everything that might be involved, uh, oftentimes this will drive you to change your venue or change your location or change uh, the type of activity. This slide is not designed to scare you into not doing anything for your workforce, but it is something where you really wanna make sure you're thinking about all the different things that could go wrong. You wanna make sure that when you are having these events, you train your management team or your people leaders for the other things that happen. And that's around the you know Monday after the event or after the weekend, they come back in the office and hear all the rumors of the, the crazy things that went on at the, the, the party. Uh, and some of those things can be extremely damaging. So. Provide the right amount of training to your people leaders about what your expectations are as a business and what behaviors are acceptable. Make sure they understand they're responsible for their actions and that they're an ambassador of the company. So if you're at a, a, uh, a venue that's a restaurant and bar and you're acting up, people will learn who, which company is there and who's part of it. And nowadays with you know, our cell phones and our social media that's out there, it's very easy to snap pictures. It goes viral. Next thing you know, you've got this negative perception of your organization. Uh, and make sure your people leaders that you're training and sharing your expectations are providing clear expectations then down through the ranks uh, to the respective staff that's going to attend the event. So training is critical in setting those expectations. 
And I wanted to just highlight some of the potential risks and the real dangers that happen at company sponsored events. And it doesn't have to just be an, a holiday event. Anytime you've got any offsite activities, especially if there's alcohol involved or if there's hotels and overnight stays involved, a lot of these items could come up uh, that you should be prepared for and aware of. Harassment can happen offsite, especially quid pro quo, which is this for that, and scenarios where uh, someone in authority is asking something of someone uh, that's a direct reporter or a lower level than them. This happens often when you have offsite company events or parties where the risk is there uh, and people claim this has happened. So training your managers and making sure they understand what this is and what it's not uh, is important. We talked a little bit about injuries that could happen. Uh, that would be workers' compensation claims. So select your activities and what you're doing well. Uh, I certainly recommend against asking any of your employees to get on top of the table and make a toast. Um, and other things that may be silly or fun at the time, but really could put yourself and your business in danger. Think about who you're inviting to the party and your approach. There are uh, laws and regulations around how people should be compensated. If it's a company event that's voluntary to attend or whether you make something mandatory, you don't wanna run into a failure to pay situation where a non-exempt employee claims they had to do something and weren't paid for it. So just make sure you're checking with your HR professionals or your employment attorney uh, relating how you handle these types of events if non-exempt employees are in attendance as well. You don't want to un unintentionally discriminate against anybody. That could be through the invitations you send out or who you allow to come to the party or who you don't allow. And then physical harm or injury to the employee could happen. Ruined reputation is something that really we all need to be aware of nowadays, again, with social media and the, the ease in which it is to share information and publish pictures and other activities. Uh, and then finally, you don't want to end up where you go out and your leadership team is acting up not behaving in a way that is conducive with your expectations and not aligned with your values and the mission of your company. And then you get back in the workplace and your employees lose trust in you, they lose respect, and therefore you'll ultimately lose engagement, which is something we're gonna talk a lot about later in this presentation. So wanna make sure you really think about all the dangers associated with these types of company-sponsored events. Moving on now that we got that out of the way and hopefully you really take that to heart and think about it as you're planning and moving forward in this holiday season. But again, it could be any company sponsored event. We wanna talk about culture and culture in the workplace specifically. And we really wanna understand what culture is and what it is you want to have in the workplace. And so I wanna ask everybody in the audience today to think about what are the top three criteria you might consider when you're determining if you wanna do business with some company? It could be whether you're gonna buy from them, shop with them, go online, research them, let them be a supplier to your business, let them be a consumer of your services. But what are you thinking about uh, when you're gonna consider them? And perhaps some of the things you're gonna consider are, is that organization socially responsible? Um, do they have a good reputation in the marketplace? What is their leadership team like? What is the leadership team's reputation? What is their experience and capabilities? Have they done uh, successful endeavors in the past, right? So we're looking at all these various things. Is the company a best place to work? So if you're looking at it from a consumer perspective, if you're looking at it from an applicant perspective, all these things may come to mind when you're thinking about it. And ultimately, you might want to find out whether they have high turnover or low turnover. Do they retain their employees, especially in the service industry perspective? Um, if you're working with an organization that perhaps provides you technical support or customer service, and every time you call your account manager or your rep, it's a different person, it certainly loses continuity of a relationship and actually could be negative for your business. So 
you're thinking about all these things and believe it or not, all these things you're thinking about are what an organization is working on developing through their culture and making sure that they build a strong culture that has positive results on these characteristics. And so here's some of the things I wanna make sure we cover today and that we're gonna learn about is building that culture itself, defining it, understanding it, and thinking about culture in the most appropriate way for a business environment. We wanna talk about the importance of business culture and how it impacts all those items I just listed that hopefully you were thinking about when you think about how you decide when and where to, when and who to work with um, from a business perspective. Strong cultures versus weak cultures, just simply we're gonna talk about some attributes and the benefits or pros and cons of that. We're gonna talk about engagement because certainly engagement is a driver of your culture and also engagement drives the success and sustainability of your business. We'll talk about various methods of engagement and then we'll just do a quick wrap, recap of the topics. So in the most general of terms, when we think about business culture, I want you to think about it as the behavioral norms and actions of the workforce. I've asked business leaders for over 20 years what culture is or what their culture is, and I've gotten everything from it's our mission, it's our vision, it's how people work, it's how people talk, it's the way we look. Um, I've had people say it's just the culture. Culture is our culture, it's what we are. Um, and so there's such a vast view of what it is that must indicate that it's very hard to sustain it. It's very hard to develop it. It's very hard to manipulate or influence it as well. But think about it in terms of how people actually interact and work at their place of business. And so how they behave and how they perform their job ends up being the culture of organization. And there's both visible signs of a culture and then there's, there's in, invisible causes that lead to how your culture is impacted. So digest that for a second and we're gonna start thinking about all the different aspects of a business culture. What you see here on the screen is a variety of items. So language, communication, artifacts, uh, and then the rest that you see here. All these are contributing aspects of culture. They might not all have the same level of impact on your culture, depending on whether you're a new startup, whether you're an established business, whether you've been around for century, you know, for, for decades and multiple generations. Um, but the reality is all these certainly contribute to and have various impact on your businesses. As we go through these slides, and we're gonna cover each of these topics in depth, I want you to think about um, putting it in the context of your own organization and your own business. Because if any of these are missed or any of these do not align with what your goals are of the culture, this is how you want to approach it. You want to break it down into these categories and find out how you can start implementing behavioral changes or communication changes or practices that align with what your goals are. So we're going to start talking about language. So business culture in the terms of language. And I don't mean do we speak English? Or do we speak Spanish? Do we speak German? We're not talking about the language you're speaking, but just language in general. And on the top right image, it just shows you people talking. Uh, and the bottom left, it shows various means in, we, in which we communicate in this day and age, especially as millennial and other generations come into the workplace and are accustomed to different forms of communication. And so when you think about the culture of your business, think about how do people actually communicate with each other how do they communicate with externals? How do, they how do people from the outside communicate with your business? What are the venues and the mediums you use to do that? What words do they actually use? 
is the leadership team developing a mission and core values and a marketing strategy, but none of your employees speak those same languages. None of your employees use those same terms, which can cause a disconnect. How do they speak, right? How are they speaking with each other and how do they communicate? And then a lot of organizations use various acronyms that may not be common to everybody in the workplace, especially if their background experience is a different industry, um, or it may not be just so easily understood by the public or your consumers or potential customers and clients. And so think about what you use in the workplace. I've certainly spent a majority of my career in the pharmaceutical industry. And I remember at one point in time getting like a 20 or 30 page document of acronyms. And if that wasn't bad enough, there were acronyms with the same two or three letters and different meanings, depending on which department or function of the company you were in. So if it's that confusing or that uh, cumbersome uh, to an internal person, just imagine how it is externally, but your language of how you communicate in the workplace certainly is a component of culture and make sure you're considering that as you think about uh, what culture you want in your organization. So now we're talking about just communication. Who is allowed to talk to who in the workplace? How do you allow people to connect? What is your public relations with the outside world? What is your approach? Is anyone an ambassador of the company? Do you limit that to just certain people? Do you have a designated PR department? Um, do you educate your workforce on how they should communicate on social media? How do they deal with other businesses and how do they actually reach the outside world with their information and topics? And so who's allowed to communicate and how they're allowed to communicate certainly contributes to your business culture. And so if you think about it, where everyone feels like they're not allowed to say anything at you, about your business at all, other than your marketing department or your PR department, they may feel censored. When in fact, a better strategy might be, in some circumstances, educating your workforce so that they are communicating with the outside world differently than historically. And that allows it to become a competitive advantage and they become ambassadors for the company. Artifacts. When you think about artifacts, you might think about historically, you know, uh, you know people that are doing a, a dig out somewhere and they're, they're archeologists and what are they gonna find? Well, that's actually in the context of what I'm speaking about here. In your workplace today, wherever you're sitting, listening or watching this webinar or wherever you might meet and congregate uh, for performing work, your office design and workspace certainly portrays your culture. And so if you were to look at this image that I just presented on the screen, your brain immediately sends some messaging to you about what you're seeing. You could think about, oh my God, you know, these people go in, they clock in, they sit at a desk all day, they all look at a computer screen and they leave. You might immediately have some perception of the type of work they do based on our society today. You might have some opinion about how they're working. You might think it's great. You might think everybody has the same size cubes. There's a lot of information you'll get from that, but no matter what you get from this image, you're getting some sense about what this business is about as compared to this right image. In this image, you see a very open floor space. You see monitors, you see workstations, you see almost a relaxing area where they put something that's fake grass on the ground. They have a lot of windows. It's very open at the top. There's a lot of lighting. And so each of these environments tell you something more than just where you can sit in the building, where you can sit and work. It's really sending quite a message as to how you operate and how you're gonna work with your employees. Imagine coming in as an applicant to the picture on the right versus the picture on the left. If you were to walk down that hallway to go to a conference room to do an interview in the picture on the left, 
you might have a very different view of how people are treated or how people are communicated to or interact with their teams if you had to walk into the office on the right and see this open space, which immediately looks more collaborative or engaging. Doesn't mean one's better than the other, but the point of this slide and the point of this topic of artifact is that everything in your business and everything in your workplace contributes to that business culture. Dress code is another artifact because it's something visual and it's something that's usually promoted or um, restricted or established by the business. And so if you were in an organization and everybody you met or everybody that greeted you or all their marketing materials or all their advertisements or everything on social media reflected people dressed as the people are in this image, you're gonna have some perspective or some perception about the culture of that company versus if you went into a workplace with the people on the right. Neither is right or wrong. It all depends on how you want to promote the business. We hear stories all the time about some large Fortune 50 companies that have people in shorts and flip-flops and startup companies have this mentality. Um, it's completely up to you of how you go about uh, ex executing and implementing a dress code for your business. And, you know, there's, there's one uh, train of thought that really focuses on, do I want a workforce? Um, that is there to represent well to the outside world or is my workforce one that i'm trying to make sure they're as happy as comfortable as relaxed and as productive as possible and there's a happy medium somewhere for every type of environment based on the type of work you're doing clearly the people in both of these pictures would not be on a manufacturing line creating some product uh, in the attire they're in so uh, it's not this slide isn't about dress code that you should change it or what you should have it's just to highlight for you the reality that your dress code is reflective of your business culture. Now let's talk about the stories around your business or the myths that you hear about in your organization or the legends of how things started. Really consider that your stories that happen in the business um, impact how people view the organization or management or leadership, especially in the smaller organizations or startup. Um, but then again, you have organizations that have been around for 30 years and new people coming on board were not there when these things happen. So they might have a hard time grasping why some people are so passionate about the mission or vision of a company because they know the stories and others do not. Another area that really contributes to your culture are the lessons you learned as an organization. So let's start with the stories. Let's think about that for a second. So in a story, let's say you had a leader who had some um, challenging medical situation or had some challenging um, problem in their life that they had to overcome. They built that product or service around that drive and desire to make the world a better place. Suddenly that story or that legend about that person and why they started the company can move and motivate the people in your organization to align with where you're going. And that just becomes part of that culture that everybody understands the story and everybody kind of rallies around it. From a lessons learned, this is when your organization maybe hit a major challenge or an obstacle. Uh, for example, in the pharma world, it could be an audit that went bad. In technology, you could have had some software that didn't work, uh, could have had an implementation that went bad. Whatever that is, those that were part of that process that walked away with a learning the learning was collaborative and everybody was engaged in that process and now they all have that common piece of history to think about. That also drives your culture and how you're building your organization. And same with positive events that happened and then traumatic changes. Maybe it was a merger and acquisition. Maybe uh, some members of the leadership team left the organization. Maybe someone passed away. Um, whatever it may be, 
it caused a major change in the organization. Maybe it changed the leadership or maybe it changed uh, the views of how the company would be run. But all of these items really impact your business culture. And as you see in the, one of the biggest parts of that image on the screen is organizational culture, right? What's the culture of the organization? And so one of the things to think about is how do you promote and share your stories and myths with your employees? And one of the things we're going to learn about as we get into the practical strategies is when you do that and how to do it effectively so that people are aligned and people are really thinking about the same thing when they're thinking about the organization's goals and why the mission or vision is what it is. Ceremonies are another topic, and this may even touch on the uh, earlier topic of holiday events or company-sponsored events. You know, are there normal rituals for the business? You know, is there a time where people do happy hours? Are there morning meetings? Do some of your managers have huddles and others don't? Um, do you do things that motivate the staff? Do you have a public announcement in the morning? I think back to early years of school and education when they would have a morning announcement and let everybody know what's going on. Um, and is, it, is the practice consistent? or are only a few managers doing it. I know some clients I've worked with that they talk about one or two teams are always doing the best and performing at their highest level, and they've got a team or two that just doesn't. And if you dive in and think about it, they'll say to me, our culture's the same. I don't know why one team's doing better than some of these others. And what you'll find is there's individual supervisors or people leaders that are very consistent in what they're doing that's aligned, and maybe others don't creating an inconsistency in the workplace, which then can erode or break down your goals of having a culture. So think about what types of rituals you have, what you do, how you do them, when you do them, uh, and, and are they effective or not to align with what you want the organization to think or feel about where you're headed. Performance appraisals. Some people are really um, surprised when I bring up performance appraisals as a way to build culture. But the process of performance reviews, or I like to view it as professional development in the workplace, the goal of that really is about setting goals and expectations collectively and engaged with your workforce and your staff, and then giving feedback, receiving feedback, uh, which builds trust and engagement, and then making sure that everybody has the tools and resources and support that they need to be successful. So if you're doing that process really well, uh, whether you're using technology, a piece of paper, or just meeting regularly, however you're doing that is, in, is a, a facet of the ceremonies in your organization, which is a piece of your culture. So if you were to say all of our people have professional development and all of our people uh, have opportunity to grow and receive feedback, and I go in and interview four of your employees and they all tell me they haven't had a review in two years, uh, there's a breakdown in that, in that culture and there's a breakdown in that uh, uh, program internally to make sure that it's consistent, right? And then that whole, the benefits of that for the business and the employees can be lost. So it's a critical piece of your culture. And then company social events and recognition, um, that's important too. A lot of people uh, would do a better job or be more engaged with their workplace if they just felt like there was recognition, um, making sure that if there are social events that everybody's included, but whatever you do, if you're known for doing that party every year, or you're known for having that recognition day where everybody really feels great about what they're doing, or they, you know, you go to a park and you do a picnic for your employees, whatever that is, it's part of your culture and it can add value to your productivity, it can add value to the engagement, and it can certainly add value to your competitiveness in the marketplace. Changing gears a little bit, we're going to back up and think about your values as an organization. And so leadership often is, are the, is the team uh, and the individuals that are trying to establish what the values and the work ethics and the moral codes are of the business. But always remember that each and every one of your employees have their own values, 
ethics, and moral code. And so it's about aligning them, making sure that what your values are are communicated or established. A lot of times I recommend that your mission and mission and vision statement should be on every agenda, every document that circulates the organization, every announcement on your website and in your marketing materials. You want to talk about and communicate what you stand for as a business and identify for your workplace who you're trying to help. What does your product do for people? What does your service do for people? Because if they can get behind that and understand it, their values and ethics and moral code will really align with yours as a, as a business entity. And that will produce a really aligned, cohesive culture between people. And it can be extremely motivating. If you have a very motivating uh, culture and a very motivating core value, uh, it really drives people to want to work for you and it drives people to want to do a really good job, which becomes, an, again, your culture can drive a competitive advantage. Let's think about decision making in your organization. You know, some people wonder, you know, how do decisions get made? And sometimes they say, I talked to my supervisor, I gave them an idea and I never heard back and I don't know how anything gets done around here and I don't know how I can be part of the team. So culture really can be impacted by whether or not you allow uh, the workforce to understand how business decisions are made. And so with this slide, I want to kind of really think about, you know, on the left, it's implying that the image is implying that people are gathered together, they're collaborating, they're sharing ideas. And on the right, it's just an image saying, hey, are we are we squashing people with ideas? Are we allowing them? Are we putting a burden on people where they couldn't even help if they wanted to? But your culture drives whether or not people are willing to share their ideas. It drives whether or not people are willing to help the business, whether they want to contribute to the business. A person that's not engaged and doesn't feel like they can align or be part of the culture certainly aren't going to take the steps um, on their own to do things that contribute to the business even without being asked. So think about how business decisions are made in your organizations. Are they made in a vacuum? Are they transparent? Do people know what's going on and how, to, and, and how decisions are made? Do they also know who makes the decision? Sometimes they'll tell their supervisor and the supervisor says, yeah, I told management and I can't wait to hear back from them. That creates a breakdown in the workplace. That's not a really good um, component or perspective to have as an employee thinking that, you know, uh, suggestions go nowhere. And then who gets a say? You know, really, ultimately, this slide is to promote the fact that your employees should be given a voice and the way you go about engaging them, being collaborative and giving them that voice really impacts your culture and will really impact the ability for you to get out of your employees the most that you want to get out of them all their capabilities, all their competences, uh, so that you can and improve the intellectual capital of the entire organization, taking advantage of that great asset, human resources. And so think about these things and, and try to make sure you have clarity around how uh, decisions are impacting your culture. And so the importance of business culture, right? It sets the tone of your staff. It also lets customers know how they're gonna be treated, right? Once you have a business culture established and people learn about it. Your business culture dictates how people communicate with one another. So if you tell a new hire that, oh, we have an open door policy, and the reality is most managers have their doors closed, they're inaccessible, and you know, you've got to go through three layers of um, gatekeepers in order to set up a meeting with them, that's your real culture, and it can be um, a problem for the workplace. So you know, culture does dictate communication in the workplace. And it does really spell out the morals and values of the business. So if the leadership team decides culture should be X, and the reality is that the people in the organization's morals and values do not align, 
it will really meet, cause a breakdown and a disconnect between the workforce and leadership, and therefore your culture will be extremely ineffective. Another thing to consider in this day and age, in our current times with technology, is social media and web presence and how you can leverage that to improve the culture in the workplace. You could have an intranet, you could just have your external website, um, but you can use these tools both internally for reinforcement and externally for awareness and branding to make sure people know what you're doing and how you're aligning with your core values. Things like, you know, these are our core values for our business, or this is our social responsibility, or this is how we go about helping the community are all great ways to not only say what you're doing, but demonstrate what you're doing to build your culture. And you can also promote thought leadership uh, that can give an extra external perception of your culture. So if you have people in your management team, your people leaders, or your C-suite uh, out in social media talking about your organization and talking about the things that are going on that are changing the way you do your work, changing the way customers are impacted or society's impacted, it's a great way to demonstrate and promote your culture which then attracts more people who are aligned with your culture. So take advantage of social media and your web presence uh, in consideration of culture. If your marketing professionals, either internal, external, are not talking to you about your branding and the presence that you have and how that can leverage promoting your culture, uh, make sure you bring it up to them and, and ask them what they're gonna do to try to align with that because it's very important this day and age to make sure you're promoting as much as you can about your culture through all the different mediums and, and resources that you have. If we look at the comparison between the benefits and things that happen in a strong culture versus a weaker culture, on the left, you'll see that, you know, when you have those core values uh, closely held together and shared between the workforce and between uh, leadership, um, you really have a good commitment to making sure it's getting done. And these characteristics on the left, are what demonstrate a strong culture. People do accept that they align with it. They know what's expected of them. They know how they should behave in the workplace. You generally will end up with a lower turnover rate and you retain your employees much better because they're aligned uh, with their values to the values of the company. So they don't want to readily leave. They want to find solutions and make things work. So that loyalty and trust and open communication happens more and more frequently, strengthening your culture and strengthening your business capabilities. It also promotes cooperation and teamwork. And why does it promote that? Because when people have common goals and they establish common goals together, they work together to accomplish them. And so if someone's falling behind or someone's not able to contribute, you know, they can rely on that culture and, and really lean on it. And then they have organizational support. They know that the, the common views across the organization, across functions are there. And so when organizational support is readily available, it demonstrates a strong culture. And I think back to the, the when I'm involved with Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceuticals and their credo, every project, everything that they worked on in various stages always seemed to tie back to this core value of the business, whether that's their engagement surveys or whether it was other work they were doing. And I've seen a lot of other organizations do a really good job of that, of driving their mission and their values into all the activities of the company so that any level of the organization, if an employee asks, why are we doing something? Why are we executing this task this way? Or why are we doing this for our customers? They really can understand the why, uh, which allows them to feel more connected to what the company's doing. On the right, unfortunately, are signs of a weak culture, signs of breakdowns or inconsistencies in your environment. 
So, you know, values are different for different people. Uh, leadership preaches one thing, but they don't actually practice it themselves. And we're going to talk about this. People who are unsure of what their role is in the company, they don't know what's expected of them. Um, and kind of the opposite of the strong culture, right? High turnover. There's not a lot of satisfaction. There's no trust in the workplace. So these are signs that your culture is not where you want it to be. And if you want to have the, the benefits and the attributes of the strong culture on the left, there are things you need to start doing as quickly as possible to start implementing these behavioral changes. Because again, culture are those behavioral norms and actions of the company. And so you can't just tell them what you want the culture to be. You have to demonstrate it, model it, and provide it. So that was all what culture is. Let's just actually talk now and spend the rest of our time together today talking about how you get there. How do you build that culture where they're engaged and it's really productive and it's kind of achieves the, the vision you had uh, in your mind for your leadership team, your C-suite, or just managing your own business? So it all starts at the beginning of getting employees. It starts with talent acquisition. And so from the very time you post a position online, on your website, in a newspaper, on a radio, however you're posting it, that is sending a message about your organization. The way you word the information, the way you present it, where you present it, how you present it, is going to indicate a lot about your culture and your organization. If you only have a billboard or you only have a newspaper ad, it's gonna be very different than someone ha that, that's blasting out uh, information on social media and using various um, social media tools and Pinterest and, and, and uh, Snapchat and, and LinkedIn, all these other, other uh, tools available. That tells an organization, tells applicants about your organization in a way of, are they socially adept? Are they technologically advanced? Are they lagging the industry? Are they ahead of the industry? It just gives a lot of information. How do you do your interviews? Are you doing video interviewing? Are you doing only phone interviewing? Are you doing in-person interviewing? The system that you use, does your website say, send us your resume to this email address? Or do you have an applicant tracking system that creates an account and profile that allows that person to be more engaged in the hiring process? And how you message things, especially during the interview process, is highly indicative of your culture. Therefore, when we go back to earlier in the slide deck, when I talked about training your managers, you really want to make sure they're well-trained so that the messaging used in interviews and communicating to candidates about your benefits, the workplace, the culture of your company, you want that messaging to be very accurate and consistent. Once you get through the talent acquisition process and you've identified talent, now you've hired that talent and you're going to bring them into the organization. Before you get to onboarding, which is the training that happens for the specific job and they're getting into the organization, there's generally an orientation step. That orientation is usually the first day or first few days where they're coming into the organization and they're going to learn about the company and they often usually spend a lot of time with HR that first day really getting information to put them into your system or hire them. Maybe you have electronic onboarding already. But orientation should really reinforce the culture and it's your, your initial opportunity to really present your culture to that employee. They may have gotten snippets of it through the interview process, but now there's people dedicated to the orientation who really should think about it. And when they present company information, when they're going through and introducing you and giving you an overview of the role, when they're going through HR policies and when they're talking about the facility or their workstation, all of that are the artifacts and items we've talked about earlier in this slide deck that 
build and demonstrate and represent your culture. And so this is your opportunity to live what you said and demonstrate it. So really don't neglect that orientation time as a tool and a means to building and engaging workforce through building a presentation of your culture. Onboarding is really the process of now that they've been oriented, let's give them onboarding related to their job, which is gonna be their job specific training, which is gonna be you know maybe shadowing, maybe they're uh, working with a supervisor, maybe they're teamed up with a partner, but however you onboard your employees, that process should start reinforcing immediately what was communicated during the recruitment stages and what was, was communicated in orientation. Because if someone during the hiring process is told one thing, and by week two of onboarding, it's completely different for them. They're probably going to leave the organization or become very dissatisfied quickly. And so the point of doing onboarding, the point of making sure you're integrating the, the idea and concept of, of culture in your onboarding is significant because the advantages are retention, employees that feel they can trust and engage you based on what you said. So it's almost a way of keeping your word from what you projected about your culture all across the industry. Uh, all across all mediums of communication, and now you're kind of living it and showing it. People leader training and coaching is critical. You have to teach your people leaders what your culture is and why it's important and how they should be consistent in doing it. But also you have to establish accountability for your workforce. So if your people leaders are not uh, uh, promulgating or demonstrating the right behaviors, it's important to hold them accountable. Being a supervisor or manager does, doesn't mean just get the service or product done quickly or effectively if they forget to emulate your culture and your core values and all the other things we've talked about today so that there's a consistent environment for your workforce. And they have to demonstrate the behaviors they expect from the workforce. This goes back to, you know, uh, do what I say, not what I do. It's the exact opposite. Your leaders need to demonstrate and model the behavior for the employees, and that starts at the top. C-suite leadership must be involved in providing the right behaviors and actions so that everyone can model it after it. It's very hard to follow or lead somebody that doesn't do that, and you do not create followership in which people want to do a good job for their leaders if they're not consistently demonstrating those behaviors and actions that they're expecting from others. And be transparent. Make sure that you demonstrate that everybody is accountable uh, to execute the uh, goals and mission and values of the organization uh, so that the culture doesn't feel like there's certain people given preferential treatment over others. From training perspective, when you're thinking about that workforce training, so now you've trained your people leaders, now you want to talk about the training to the rest of the workforce. And it's critical to build an engaging culture of collaboration and thought leadership, which means you should be training people on how to work with each other, how to have uh, diversity of thought, how to look at different perspectives and how to contribute, uh, and how to demonstrate thought leadership in the workplace. And going back to how we make business decisions, this is a really key uh, strategy and a tip for everybody on this, uh, on this webinar. Make sure you teach the workforce how to actually submit a business case to management. So you need to teach them how does management make decisions, what are the critical factors, and then give them a tool of resources and the support they need to make those suggestions and recommendations. Having a suggestion, suggestion box in the hallway where they drop in a note, they never hear back, they figure nothing's gonna happen, and then they stop creating their ideas and submitting them to you isn't gonna work. What works or what is extremely effective is giving them a tool to complete a document, a form or something that actually breaks down all your decision factors. 
could be cost, could be resource, could be a lot of other different things. But when you teach them how you make decisions and then give them an opportunity to present on a document that captures all that, uh, it can be a tremendous benefit to the organization uh, in getting information from them. And make sure you're giving your workforce a voice. And whether that's through submitting a business case, whether that's uh, a, a forum where you're having regular lunch and learns or your town halls or engagement surveys uh, and, and projects, but make sure you're doing those things because if they don't have a voice, you're gonna lose them and they're gonna drop out. And if you have a culture of an open door, collaborative environment, or you're promoting that and people don't have a voice, it's contradictory. So it's not gonna happen. Make sure you're measuring your culture, and by, which is very hard to do. Uh, it's easier said than done, but you want to measure it by saying, what are the key performance indicators? What are the key things? Is it communication? Is it participation? Uh, is it promotional activities? Is it professional development of our team? Is it our, our retention rates? Find out what you want to measure effectively, and then go and have these engagement surveys around it. So some of your KPIs will be very factual and easy to collect the data uh, and very quantitative. And then you're going to have these qualitative aspects of it that you're going to use these engagement surveys for. And I recommend doing it every year or every other year um, where you have transparency with the results, you have transparency with the goals of it, you establish uh, and implement real action plans based on the results of those surveys. And by the way, when you're doing those projects and you're building your project teams, try to be inclusive across the organization of who participates in creating the solutions and implementing the solutions because that creates more engagement and will promote your culture. And then report your successes out as well as your failures. If a team gets together to try to address an issue and they fail at doing it, report it because we're all gonna learn from that process and make different efforts and contributions in the future to try to overcome it. So engage that way and be very collaborative in solving your business problems. But again, if you're not gonna take the steps to measure your success, to determine whether or not what you're doing is effective, don't bother doing it because then you'll never be able to say, yes, we're on track or no, we're not. And it's hard to measure an organization's uh, success when you're doing it that way. So giving feedback, we talked a little bit earlier about performance management and you know we talked about that's really critical for the culture. The reason why it's critical is because generally if you're doing performance feedback effectively, it started with setting mutual goals collaboratively. You don't walk up to an employee and say, by the way, here's eight things you need to do this year. Have a good day. It should be collaborative. It should be explained. They should be engaged and they should want to, to achieve those goals. And there should be some goals of their own for their professional development. So that becomes a way to align those expectations to the vision and mission of the company to help them understand what those those uh, the mission and vision is. Uh, and then it gives regular interaction throughout the year. And that regular interaction, if it's built into your culture, creates trust. It allows ideas to be exchanged, and it's a very powerful tool to make employees feel connected. And then they are more innovative and creative, which ultimately all this results in greater productivity, uh, greater communication in the workforce. And if this is done well, it should become a creative, a, a competitive advantage for you in both attracting talent, retaining talent, and having better products and services for your industry and your market. Professional development is a critical piece. So performance feedback is about how they're doing what they're supposed to do. Professional development is doing that succession planning, helping that person achieve their personal goals, helping the business achieve the goals they want to accomplish through the workforce. And so if you can help meet the needs of the employee and you can help improve their competencies, that's better for both the business and the employee. 
And when you do that and when you help people grow, it's going to improve retention and increase loyalty. And you'll hear this in social media and you'll hear this online some by, by famous CSO, CEOs all over the world that if you invest in your people, your people will invest in you and remain loyal. A lot of organizations I work with always get concerned about, hey, if we train people and they leave, what's the problem? And we've heard many times, if you don't train them, what's the chance of them staying, right? Uh, and what's the value for everybody? So if you have an environment of continuous learning and continuous professional development, will you have people leave the organization? Certainly, but will you have a culture of developing people and that's very attractive to applicants and the outside world, yes. And you can become a very well-respected organization by building a culture uh, that is designed around professional development. Exit interviews is another category that I'd like to talk about briefly here, that you wanna make sure you're not only engaging people on the front end, but that you're having an engaging process on the tail end. And one way to do that is for people that exit the organization on a voluntary basis, that you reach out to them and have a structured exit interview process to collect information so that you show them that you care about them still and that you want to understand where you can improve. So it's a great way to gather critical information uh, and then focus on future retention uh, activities. And then it's also a way to just learn from the workforce, right? So we're gonna be able to learn from the workforce uh, and understand how we can make changes to our culture uh, and you also learn what they really view your culture to be. So exit interviews can be a good tool uh, to help identify and measure how effective your uh, implementation of uh, culture and the various uh, behaviors and actions of the workforce impact everybody. And then you can see if it's really happening. Many times I've, I've, I've worked with organizations that there was a difference of opinion in what the culture was. And so alignment with that is very critical and exit interviews are one way to find out from people who are leaving who are often very open and honest when they leave uh, to find out if you've been effective. So uh, try, to, try to implement exit interviews if you can. So let's recap quickly what we talked about today. Early on, we talked about holiday events and what we need to do to protect our employment practices and protect our business with uh, planning and, and activities and risks and liabilities related to holiday events. We also talked about just what culture is and the importance of a business culture. We touched on social media uh, and leveraging the web. We wanted to talk about the differences between strong and weak cultures, and we covered that and the attributes of each. Um, I covered engagement and overview of what engagement is and how you build that foundation. And then we talked about performance feedback, professional development, and exit interviews.